Free Brooklyn. Welcome to the Truth to Power Show on Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm your host, VJR Nathan, and with us today is co-host Jessica Hines. Welcome, Jessica. Thank you for having me. Thank you, thank you. Uh, our special guest today is featuring, uh, the show is featuring uh, Jane Rebecca Canarella, who is a writer and editor living in Philadelphia. She's the editor of Hoot Review and Meow Meow Pow Pow Lit, and the author of Better Bones and Marrow, both published by 30 West Publishing House. She likes cats and the piano and cats who play the piano. Welcome, Jane and Rebecca. Hey, how's it going? Hey, hey. So why don't we Hi. start off? Yeah, yeah, good, good. So how are you doing this Monday morning? <laughs> good. I'm really up this early, and I was very nervous that my phone would not be connecting well. But other than that, I'm doing awesome. <laughs> great, great. So why don't we start the conversation off with about your um, magazines, um, Cute Review and Miyama Pow Pow Lit. I love that name, by the way, Miyama Pow Pow Lit. Uh, tell us a little bit about, yeah, tell us a little bit about the evolution and what the aesthetic is and, and, and how it's created, all these kinds of stuff. Yeah. Uh, sure. So Hoot Review is, um, it's a magazine on a postcard. So we take writing and, uh, we take poetry and flash under 150 words and then design art that goes along with it and then, um, make it into a postcard and mail it to our subscribers like once a month. And so that's been going on for about eight years. I am not the creator of Hoot Review. I'm the editor now, but I started off as an intern when it first was created in 2011, I think. God, it's mm-hmm. a long time. Um, and it was created by Amanda and Dorian, and they were wonderful editors, but I've since taken over it. And Meow Meow Pow Pow Lit, um, it started because I really uh, loved, I just loved, uh, the, I just loved the words Meow Meow Pow Pow. Um, and then I decided that I wanted to create um, a similar aesthetic to Hoot, but like maybe a little bit more playful and accessible for um, all variety of readers and not necessarily just um, writers who also love to read lit journals, but for kind of like the general populace. Um, and that is like flash and poetry under like 200, 250 words that we design art for and make it into broadsides and then graffiti it around. Yeah. So you have like these, uh, you have an artist, I believe who works on, uh, the illustrations for the poems and you work with an artist or illustrator, right? So for Hoot, um, I do most of the art in house. So I'm the artist. Uh huh. Um, or the writer will request to work with an artist that they like, or sometimes the writer is also the artist, and then I'll work with them to develop it that way. Um, for Meow Meow Pow Pow, we have three different artists. So it would be me. It would be the photographer who's also the managing editor. Her name is Cassandra Panic, and she's a photographer in Philadelphia. And then our art editor, um, Elizabeth Berglund, and she's a graphic designer and artist in Philly. So it'll rotate between the three of us. Because we publish weekly, it's a lot of... Um, it's like a lot of creativity to churn out. So we, yeah. we try to like lighten the burden. Yeah. yeah. So tell us a little bit more about as an editor, like what kinds of um, like a little more of the aesthetic and you're talking a little about like, and how um, you uh, filter or how you, uh, how, what kind of submissions they'd be getting or and we'll get to your books in one moment, but we can expand a little bit more on uh, about me on my pow pow kind of like how, um, you sort through the slush pile or whatever, or whatever aesthetic you're looking for. If you uh, zoom in on that a little bit more. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so Meow Meow Pow Pow is different than, than Hoot. So Hoot has rolling submissions and the only thing that we look for essentially is brevity. Um, and then just like any sort of quality micros under 150. For Meow Meow Pow Pow, we publish based upon a revolving theme. So, um, all, like the entire masthead and there's quite a few people on it. Uh, maybe like 10. We'll get together and we'll all suggest different themes. And we try to have something that's like, uh, we try to balance the themes between something that's concrete than um, something that's like more interpretive. And then we'll accept submissions based upon that. Um, and then it, uh, our breakers will read through it on Submittable and leave their comments. And we try to, um, we try to have like a relatively fair balance between things that would be like capital L literary and like, um, and then light to keep it enjoyable for like a wider range of, um, readership. So I guess, I guess that's basically it. Anything that speaks to our theme in an interesting way and doesn't take it too literal. Um, and then we try to make sure that we keep a fair balance between accessibility and inclusivity with who we publish. Yeah. And also you're talking a little bit about, uh, in the pre-interview stuff, you were talking a little bit about your exposure to outsider art. So I'd be curious about like how you, uh, your thoughts on, you know, being outsider, being insider. And you were talking a little bit about how making these things more palatable to general audiences. So if you talk a little bit about your aesthetic in regards to, uh, you know, your exposure to, I think you mentioned the documentary of Henry Darger's life and the realms of the unreal as being something to change your perspective. Yeah. That might be something good to talk about and and reflecting (laughs) on outsider and insider art or, or outsider or what that means to you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so for anyone who doesn't know, Henry Darger was like considered maybe one of like the first outsider artists. Um, he was like a relatively reclusive person. Um, and very few people were, were intimately acquainted with him. I think he lived a very lonely life to, as, as the perception was to many other people, but in reality, he was creating like and churning out just massive amounts of work. I think he he wrote the largest or like longest book that's ever been written. It follows these girls called the Vivian Girls, and he kind of um, he created like an imaginary life for himself that was like more rich and real to him than the world that he actually existed in, where he was a janitor um, in Chicago. And I watched that when I was in my first master's and there's, um, when you're deeply enmeshed in, um, academics and academia, it becomes very competitive and extremely ego driven. Um, and that's not always the case, but for me, I was very (laughs) ego driven. Uh, and I was pretty young at the time. I was in my early twenties. Um, and my entire drive, uh, both as an educator and as an artist was, uh, like entirely ego driven and um to be like but the end game was to be well known and um I was miserable all the time because I felt dissatisfied with everything that I was that I was producing and it was extremely joyless. Uh and then I watched this documentary um it, by chance. I don't even know how I came across it. It's like maybe I was like stealing someone's Netflix and it was like available <laughs> on there. Uh, and, um, when, when I watched it, it deeply affected me and, um, it kind of reminded me of the way that like how, like, um, like how children are able to tap into kind of like an unconscious imaginative state and they create because it feels like there's no other, like that's, there's no other, there's nothing else. Like you just, when you're young, you, you create these 
fantasy worlds for yourself and they bring you joy and they provide escape and um that's very id driven right there but i <laughs> there's like a there's a lack of ego to it and that inspired me um and it gave me a different perspective on how i could relate to like other people doing what they're doing and how i could think about my art and what i put out into the world and it didn't necessarily have to be for like a claim it could just be to like foster creative environment um, and sort of like tap into this, this like joy of, of putting something out into the world and making something meaningful and having that be sort of enough. Um, so I guess that that would be, that would be the driving force between both like Hoot and Meow Meow Pow Pow, I guess, is to kind of relate to other writers and artists and creatively minded people, um, that have sort of like similar drives. Yeah. It's, um, you know, working with artists, uh, one of the things I first, when I'm working with someone is we talk about like what is truly motivating their work and a lot of the, the suffering that people go through, that artists go through, especially, and I think especially writers is, you know, uh, is coming from a place where their, their motivation has gotten to an unhealthy artistic place. Um, and so really getting back in touch with, the part of because like no one initially wants to become a right well rarely do I talk to people where they're like yes and then I was 12 and I thought I would like to be famous or I would like to be rich it's always <laughs> like you have this like crazy experience where you feel seen for the first time you know and and you know or you make someone laugh for the first time and you go oh like that's powerful that's connecting with other human beings and I feel seen and I feel heard and you know finding that place uh, is one of the earliest things that you, if there's anyone listening who's struggling with their work, I can tell you that just going back and finding that original core place and bringing yourself back to that while you're writing constantly and reminding yourself of it every day is, is one of the most effective ways to create more creative content. Mm. Yeah. Rediscovering yeah. your joy, following that joy, pursuing that joy. And uh, it, it really speaks to the contrast between you know, what you're saying about academia and about this intellectual elitism, kind of like, you know, the ivory towers in which, you know, they seem like it's removed from joy, or at least it's much more specialized, much more like, um, you know, localized into a niche community, niche and niche communities where these communities are becoming very detached from the everyday joys of, you know, of the, of, of the general readership, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you do I, like I am very as we had like discussed a little bit before this. Um, I am like be, be extremely opposed to intellectual elitism. Um, so I experience you experience a lot of it, um, which I think is just like sort of like shallow competitiveness. And both like my my first masters and in my second with my MFA, um, it, it was I was particularly affected by it and saw it much more when I was in my my first masters in education, where. Um, I, I also did like masters in comparative literature at the same time. I was I was trying to figure out what I was doing, and I saw a lot of people dismissing the necessity of uh, like reading across all genres. So I worked in the I worked in the library during my um, like capstone, like my capstone project was being a librarian, and I so I worked with children from K to twelve, and I 
I was able to see them just kind of like engaging with literature in a way that like spoke to them, you know, like, and, and when you're working with kids K through 12, like you could, you kind of like try to direct them to stuff that you think that they might like based upon their tastes, but you would never kind of diminish the quality of the writing to someone who's expressing interest in reading. You know what I mean? Like, like I would never be like, don't read And by the way, I love this. So like, do not take this. I'm going to drop a name and do not take, I love this uh, like series, but I would never be like, don't read bones, you know, like you should read watership down instead um, to, to a child to try to like direct them to something that I think is more lofty. And this was during the time of, Oh my God, those vampire books. There's a <laughs> vampire books. I forgot what they're called. Oh my God. Oh, Twilight. Yeah. This was during the time of Twilight. And like, um, you know, so like every, every preteen was like obsessively trying to get their hands on these books. And of course there's like a fat, like there's a part of you that wants to be like, maybe don't like, like there's other things that you can read. But I would never, as an educator, be like, don't read that. <laughs> and I, like, when I was working through my MFA and, like, dealing with, like, comparative literature in both of those fields, I saw the total opposite of that. <laughs> like, I would see a lot of people being like, that's not quality. Like, don't read this. And I thought, of, like, it's such a weird, it's such a weird contrast to kind of function in this, in this intellectual elitist position where you turn people away from something that they would potentially be engaging in based upon subjective, like, merits. Well, it's, so it's, it's not to say that people shouldn't... Oh, I'm sorry. I was going to say, it's not to say that people shouldn't critically engage with art. They absolutely should, and they should be questioned. And, like, certainly there's metrics to determine something that's long-lasting versus something that's not. But I'm always, I'm always shocked by people turning, like, being, being like, you know, Harry Potter's garbage or something <laughs> like that. No, 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 no. I mean, I see this. This is exactly the same as in the film industry and with TV. Like, I will get shit from people because I'll just be like, yeah, I just, you know, 90 Day Fiance came out and like I will watch trash TV and I watch I'll watch like, you know, the top 10 films ever made and then I'll go in and I'm like, there's a real danger to you know, to uh, only staying on one track. And we know this through like science and and economics where it's like, if people are only studying one section very intensely, they're missing that whole broader view. And, you know, creativity itself is this idea of, of taking from like a million different markets at once and like lighting up all the different parts of the brain. And I just feel that when you know, like when someone's just like, oh, well, like that, like when people become film snobs, it drives me freaking nuts because someone's huh. just like, oh, like that movie was trash. And I was like, well, that movie made like a hundred bajillion dollars. And like yeah. and that was, and people want like people, are, people love to shit on love, actually, that movie, because yeah. like it's not a well done. film. And I'm just like, listen, there's film and there's art and there's entertainment. And I will admit that it's more on the entertainment side than it is on the art or the film side of things. But I'm like. Honestly, I enjoy watching it every year. Do I enjoy it because it's totally well done? No. And I'm just like, it serves a purpose. And rather than, you know, in, in meditative writing, the first pillar is replace judgment with curiosity. And I'm like, instead of shitting on something, which doesn't help you be a better artist or a better human being, why don't you ask, huh, I don't, this piece doesn't resonate me, mm. but it does with so many other people. What's that about? Yeah. And, 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 or, you know, if you want to take it even further being like, all right, I tell my writers, I'm like, pick a movie that you hate that is super popular and rewrite the script and do what you think would make it a great film. And I'm like, that'll serve you much more. I mean, rather than talk crap about it for three hours with your friends, why don't you take those three hours <laughs> and work on it 
And and also realize that like anytime someone's created anything, you mean it takes bravery and time and guts and so much energy just to create, to write a short story, to write a novel, dear Lord, to create a film. And, you know, I just get, yeah, like the whole academia world too. I just, you know, I had, I, I struggled a bit with it because I was like, I love learning so much, but there was so much a part of the learning that became just like this weird horse race that I was not interested in participating. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I noticed that uh, another trend in uh, the education system is that they have these, these levels like A through Z, you know, they get, they give you levels so that the readers, the readers, students come into the library and they'll be like, you know, I'm level J or I'm level K and you only need books in that level. And the uh, the public library at least takes the philosophy that, you know, they shouldn't be encouraged to read based on their interests. They should be encouraged to be adventurous, to go out there and, and try to find something that even if it's above the, quote unquote, above their level, they should try to, uh, or below, they should try to read based on their interests uh, and not be refined or not be uh, restrained to, you know, this is, you know, this particular series of books are, um, you know, where my abilities are. So I know that's the trending topic now in uh, in education and versus the library because the library doesn't uh, divide their books according to the specific levels that the schools do. Huh. So yeah, it's very well, that's, interesting. That's yeah. so bizarre because like I, you know, I, I was dyslexic learning. I'm, I am dyslexic, but learning to read was very difficult for me. I was very much behind. Um, but the only books that I found interesting were books that are way, way, way above my reading level where it's yeah. like I would... And I st- that's still how I am. Like, you know, I read books on neuroscience and, you know, I don't have any professional training. And I've just for eight years been like, I know I'm only going to understand like 35 percent of this book. But like that to me is for someone with dyslexia and ADD, like that's what it takes for me to stay interested in a book is that I I have to be working so hard that I can't just like, you know, yeah. switch over to something else. Like I, I have a really hard time reading like beach fiction. like. Yeah. Everyone's always like, oh, it's a quick read. It's a fun read. And I'm like, there's no way my brain is going to stay focused on that thing. I'll have to be reading five of those books at a time. But when I'm engaged in, you know, in something that's like breaking down, you know, that that is so above my I remember the first book I ever really loved was this, you know, it was like um, Einstein's philosophies. And I remember going through with like this pencil and just writing question after question after question. But it was the first book that I ever chose to read as like, you know, a 12 a, a year old. And, and even though I really didn't fully understand it, I still have that book and I have all of those notes. And, you know, I think there's a danger in putting a limit to like, you know, what people go through, because depending upon their brain makeup and their mind makeup, it's like, yeah, for another kid, giving them a book like that would shut them down mm. because it would feel like they're a failure. But for my type of brain, it was the only thing that that got me excited about reading. Yeah, that's so true. I mean, I think that uh, when it comes to reading and such and what we're reading and we want to be able to find the interest. So, so Jane, why don't you tell us uh, some of the books that uh, perhaps uh, are some of the readings that really enlighten you or really feel like uh, set you on fire, things that the kind of literature, the kind of stuff that in oh, any realm. That, yeah. <laughs> what kind of stuff do you normally consume? really putting me on the spot over uh-huh. here. Yeah. I, I like... Um, so I've spent like my whole life, like, like obsessively reading. Um, and then whenever I'm asked this question, I'm always like, have I ever read anything? (laughs) 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 
okay. So like, so just like books that I'm like, like stuff that I'm down with. Then, yeah. Right? Is, yeah, that, yeah. is that the question? Yeah. Anything, okay. any, any medium. And, you know, any media. Well, right, we're going to have to stick to books because <laughs> yeah, books then you're never going to have me <laughs> off this show. Honestly, <laughs> I'm very like, um, I like love everything. I like have so many um, like things that I'm like, oh, it's amazing. So we're going to have to stick to books. Okay, um, yeah. So some books that I love. I'm looking around my room right now in a panic. Uh, the first <laughs> things I see are my collection of Sweet Valley High. So like, big <laughs> shout out to Francis Pascal and Sweet Valley High, which I will love until the earth collapses in on itself. Um, so I mentioned I love Claudia Rankine. Um, well, there's some things that I read recently. So I love um, this collection called Things That Are. Um, I like Nicole Walker. Um, uh, I mean, like, so then, like, back into, like, canonized works. I, like, I'm obsessive about Virginia Woolf. Um, I was assigned, um, like, I was assigned Moby Dick, even though, like, my genre is flash fiction. My mentor was, like, very determined for me to read it, and I thought that that was, sounded insane. But then I read it, and it, it, was, it was, like, it was amazing, it was, like, poetry. Um, and then, speaking of poetry, I also love uh, a poet named Ponget. Um, I would be remiss to not add the book The Pigman, which was the first book that ever, um, like really outside of Sweet Valley High, ever really like lit my fire in terms of of reading. And then I read every single thing that Paul Zindel ever wrote, ever. Yeah, he's a really great writer. Um, I remember I met him in Staten Island. Uh, he's a really great writer. Are you I love serious? the Pigman. Yeah, that was back in the day. It was like when I was at grammar school or something. He had came to visit uh, Salem Tonville High School and. I met him and I was like, oh, I want to be a writer. And it was like, it was like in high school. No, it was in high school. It was in high school. And I was like, oh, I want to I be a writer. I threw and my coffee cup across <laughs> the room. I'm dying right now. I was like, obsessed with him. He was like the bravest person that I, like in terms of, in terms of making like brave and bold career choices. Yeah. I've like, I, that was unreal when I learned about his background. Anyone who's listening, uh, go look into Paul Zendel and like his, his, background he's amazing um anyway yeah i am so jealous right now i'm calling <laughs> um so like those those are a few i mean like what am i reading currently i'm reading house of leaves because i guess i like to scare myself yeah i'm, I'm novels i like obsessively in love with comic books and graphic novels and have been my whole life and that's how i started getting publications out i wrote for a um a literary organization called Seaquart that gave me my first chance. Um, I mean, like, and then again, like, like Sarah Val, Jonathan Goldstein. Um, I loved Sherwood Anderson as a child. Um, Things Fall Apart clearly is like one of the best books that's ever been written hands down. Um, and so, like, those are just, those are just a few. I, I yeah. like, widely and with no thematical connection <laughs> across uh-huh. all genres. <laughs> it's so great. Cause I remember, uh, I remember seeing something on your page, on your Facebook page that you were trying to get poets to come in and read, uh, Sweet Valley High or something like that, or do, uh, be <laughs> yeah. like, uh, uh, flash fiction inspired by, it was like a whole day you wanted to do where it was like, or these various, uh, readings where not just reading from the book, but also like inspired by, I think. What was that about? <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's a hundred percent. I'm still trying. I have to get it off the ground. It's yeah. there's a lot of things going on in the next couple of months. And I have a very specific place that I want to hold the event in Philly. So that takes like, that's a lot of moving pieces, but yeah. So I, um, 
in like an impulsive, whimsical fit, uh, and I guess in terms to like combat trauma and like reconnect with my childhood, <laughs> I went on eBay and I bought like every single Sweet Valley High book that I could possibly get my hands on, which is <laughs> like a financial disastrously like bad choice. But you know, I'll I stand behind it. <laughs> and then I was like, wow, what the hell am I going to do with all of these Sweet Valley High books? And I'm lucky to be connected with like a really incredible literary community in Philadelphia, which changed my life. Um, and I was like, you know, it would be really rad is if like I assigned essentially like a chapter of each of these books to interested um, poets and writers in the area. And then they wrote pieces that were inspired by that, like either page or chapter. And then at the reading, they would have to read like the the page and then they would read their response to the page. <laughs> and we were going to have great. like the Sweet Valley Highlands. Yeah, I remember. I remember as a kid growing up, I would read. I read the whole Wizard of Oz series, I believe. I mean, I remember reading a lot deeper into it than the L, um, Frank Baum. You know, I read to L uh, Thompson. Uh, Frank Thompson, I think, mm-hmm. was the second writer, and then I read pretty deep into that. And that, I remember there was some point where I couldn't find the L Knight of Oz or something. I couldn't find a copy of it, so I stopped reading it after that. But uh, I think around that point, but it was like twenty books in that series. I'd love to go back and revisit them and see how they hold up. Cause I don't remember exactly uh, too much about it. I just remember even pre-reading my, my sister would read to me from the bomb series. And, uh, and then I started picking up the Thompson series afterwards, but it's so interesting to revisit, yeah. uh, you know, stories that we read as children and, and try to see how they hold up and see how, what our responses are, what our connection with them is now, you know? It's, it's such yeah, a, it seems like such a healthy, I mean, I don't know. I think everyone does this. Everyone, I mean, I was just talking to my friend yesterday. We were decorating my tree and trying to put together an impossible thousand piece puzzle, which I am now deeply regretting uh-huh. buying because it's taken over my entire living room. <laughs> and I think the tagline for puzzles should be board games for people with no friends. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, no, but like we were talking about how she's like, she's like, she's like, I always hated growing up in New Mexico and she's like why do I feel like this desire to, to reconnect with it and I'm like I think it's like really common um, to get to a certain place where you've been adulting for a while and you know have this like desire to go back to that childlike state or rekindle it and I think it's totally healthy and all my sisters had the Sweet Valley High books I of course refused to read them because those were girl books and I was like really deep into my tomboy like I will reject anything feminine or vulnerable and so you know of course opted for Einstein Strindberg and uh I did read a lot of Piers Anthony I don't know if either of you have experienced the world of Piers Anthony he wrote these Xanth books that people told me not to go back because they don't quite hold up politically socially but Essentially, like it was the world of puns. So you go into this world and a housefly is a house that literally has wings and lipstick are sticks with lips on them that kiss you when you walk through the grass. And everyone has like a magical power because I loved that. And so uh, I, I, I think it's I think it's, that sounds kick ass. Like I just I just pulled my letterman's jacket from high school out of my closet and I, I was like, you need somewhere to wear this. So if you do that. I feel like I want to come down and show up yeah. and show off my my Letterman's jacket from yeah. high school. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh my god! Please do, please, please do. If, that would be if bad. there's a dress, if there's a dress up component, like I'm there. Like if you have to dress like who you were in high school, <laughs> I will. I will even read the books uh, that I refused to yes. read in my childhood yeah. state, and I will totally. <laughs> 
that sounds like amazing. And then if it's successful, you should come up and do one in Brooklyn. Yeah. Oh, I would love great. to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And also, I remember uh, in fourth grade, I, I, I see this chilling triggered to me in memory. Uh, I was writing this novel. I was attempting to write this novel about this scientist called, because uh, I've been reading the Waz series, so I, the Oz series, so I called him Professor Wazit. So I was a little derivative, but um, <laughs> Professor Wazit, and he uh, has this microcosm of a universe in a, in a small, like, like a small um, vial. And him and his dog have to go, him and a dog now, who now talks, of course. Of course. Uh, dog talks. So uh, him and his dog have to go into the universe or inject themselves in the universe to find the prince who's kidnapped or something. And uh, and they travel along. And then, I remember one time, at one point they were going to Bookton where everyone's reading a book and they're walking <laughs> around their head absorbed in a book. So in that regard, uh, Jane, I'd like to ask you, um, so what, what, how has your writing evolved? Did you write as a child and, and how has it evolved? Uh, uh, and we'll get into your books, your, your two books as well. But if you tell us a little bit of the evolution of your writing from maybe from youth, if you if you wrote that, yeah. Sure. I, we need to circle back to the plot of that book that you were writing yeah. as a child. I was like, what happened? what's happening now? Like, I never wrote anything that intense when I was a kid. Um, that sounds like an incredibly rad plot, derivative or otherwise. Please, revisit this. Yeah, thank it. you, thank you. Put it out into the world. Um, yeah, I... Um, I did write a ton when I was a little kid. Um, I was like very music. I was very, very into music. Music was like my first love, um, like very show tune specific um, and piano playing. And then I was it, like, I was very interested in writing. I was also like a pretty bullied uh, and like internally lonely child. Um, as I think you will find a lot of creative types might be. Yeah. I think yeah. it's a requirement um, for writers. Right? <laughs> I think if you're well adjusted, I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, what do you have to write <laughs> yeah, about? Yeah. What pain do you suffer? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh. exactly. Um, yeah. Just like, I like, what? Yeah. No. Um, so as a little kid, my writing was, I mean, like I find it, I think it's rad. Um, and my sister found it who's 10 years older than me when she was like hanging out with her friends. She found my, my own take on like a very feminine, like novel about all of these girls competing after the same dude, which was like, not, you know, great. But then they all become friends with each other instead of the guy at the end. And also inexplicably as teens all lived in a hotel absent from parents. So that was <laughs> my first, no, that was awesome, my first awesome. writing adventure. That's the post-postmodern yeah. um, romantic comedy right there. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. We were before your time, man. You should have optioned it. Hollywood would have loved that now. Yeah. I know. And then we could circle into the fact that, like, I was like, why won't, like, why don't people combine all of their best loves? So then, like, shortly after that, I was like, I should make X-Men the musical yes. um, as a small child. And then <laughs> went over that creative endeavor. Um performed it for my mother and she said that shadow cat sounded very premenopausal in her song which i didn't understand at the time um but it's like super funny now um and then i guess like then uh, you know like growing up i always had like a like ambition to create but was like um more interested in music than i was in writing i was always kind of like invested in it in a not very like serious way but again i was a teenager so i don't like I was not like a wonderkind by any stretch of the imagination. So I wasn't like penning anything other than like, why doesn't Brad like me poems or whatever. Um, in between like listening to punk. Uh, and then I, 
as I had mentioned, after my BA, I started to want to be more involved in like community and writing and literature. So I started to write um, like more academically minded pieces for C-Court about um, like sequential art, the role that graphic novels and comics were, were like taking in the world of like literature and entertainment. And this is kind of like a considerably long time ago. It was in 2006. So the, um, the level of regard for that medium was like not as well appreciated as it is now. And even now I still feel like dodgy people being like, it's not art or whatever. Um, so I first started writing that and then I started to write long form comedic pieces. And I had a blog, which I still have, I just don't update it, for a very long time called You Life Is Not So Great. So I um, I wrote, like, I wrote comedic reflections um, on my life or just, like, things that were happening to me because it was kind of a disaster at that time there for a long time. And that's what I was first writing when I got into um, my first MFA. I started my MFA out in Sarah Lawrence. And that was what I was accepted for, was nonfiction um, and I was writing comedy, um, uh, and that, uh, was, it was good and it was fine. And I think I was trying to like, I was trying to develop a voice in that field and writing comedy is really hard when you're also, I'm not, I'm not a person that can, um, process trauma through comedy and started, it started to take like a really dark edge and I was like, I am just like live journaling all over right uh-huh. now, like in my in my workshops and stuff. Like I am not, I'm not producing anything that I feel proud of, and it's not funny, and it's it's not interesting. But during this time, I was also an intern, and then eventually an editor for Hoot, which kind of forced me to engage in in the best way possible with reading submissions and just like and when we first were established there were not quite as many literary magazines so our submission queue was was like frankly it was overwhelming so you just go through hundreds and hundreds of submissions so I was I had like a communion with flash fiction which was sort of like evolving in in it's like creation at, at that time um in 2011 it was it was still considered relatively new I mean like Dinty Moore has been doing its thing for forever so but like for me, I had never heard of it before. And then in a rut and having to like be forced to create for these workshops where I was not producing anything that I felt proud of, I started to give myself like tests, like word limitation tests, just to take myself out of whatever space to see if I could focus on something, just to focus on something before returning to a piece of writing I didn't like. And that's how I started to write Flash. And um when I got to Antioch, which is where I would eventually finish my my MFA, uh, my first mentor, when she was reading what I had written, um, she responded to me. And, like, I had written and published a few pieces of Flash, so I, I was, like, telling her that I wanted to do nonfiction comedy and sent her that piece to workshop. But before we had even started to have, like, a mentor-mentee relationship, um, she had asked to read some of my other writing just to get a feel for who I was as a writer. And I also sent her like a piece of flash in there. Uh, and her name's Christine Hale and she's an amazing writer. Uh, just a little plug for Christine. Um, and she wrote back to me and she was like, this is fine. This is good uh, about the comedy piece. And she was like, but I feel deeply that this is not what you want to be writing. And she was, she was completely right. 
Um, and I, I started to focus on flash prose and, um, sort of like the, like a hybrid genre between prose poetry and flash fiction. And that's sort of where I am as a writer now. I think Thank you for going on that very long. No, 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 I, I think it's, <laughs> I think it's really important because, uh, you know, a lot of people, they have this idea of what they want to do and they, it's like this, you know, it's like you saw some movie at some time or, you know, and you're like, oh yeah, I want to be a writer like that type of a writer. Yeah. And if your conscious goal is not uh, congruent with like what your voice is and like what your artistry wants to do, then there's so much struggle and suffering that is unnecessary. And so I think that it's a really good thing when you, when you know what, as you're an emerging writer, just like trying on so many different things and then looking for like, where does my voice seem to just like naturally sing, Yeah, you know, cause it's like, I'll sit down and as much as I want to write, like, I mean, I love just fun slapstick comedy movies. Like I will, you know, watch those all day long, give me bridesmaids and super, you know, but <laughs> when I sit down to write, my voice is like, and now they'll all die. And I just, I'm like, <laughs> I surrender to it. I'm like, okay, if I do comedy, it's going to be more like Rob Zombie style. Yeah. Because that's just, <laughs> you know, like in person, I am bubbly and fun and energetic. And so what gets repressed in me is all my murderous, <laughs> dark anger. And so that's what comes out in my writing. And people who either know my writing first and then meet me or meet me first and then read my work are like so confused because uh -huh. they're like, they're like, wait a minute. And like, I've only actually, there's only been one piece I've ever written that didn't involve a murder, a suicide or a rape. Uh -huh. And I mean, there's lots of sex in it. It's like, it's, you know, tons <laughs> of sex. Um, uh, but I was like, I was like, when I wrote it, I was like, oh my God, I was so proud. I was like, I finally wrote something where no one dies. <laughs> and my friend was like, but you have a character who like accidentally sleeps with an underage person. I was like, but it's only by a year. And and I was just like, you know what? Like your artistry is your artistry. And I think, you know, I'm even working with one of my writers. He's like 50 years old. He's a very successful writer in, in the TV world. And he's just like, I want to find my love of writing again. And so we've been working on just doing so many different genres and styles. And then finally we got into playwriting and it's just like, holy shit. Like not only did the piece just like work on the page, but it was the first time I'd heard this man actually say he enjoyed writing in like nine months of working together. And so like if you, you know, I encourage anyone who feels like they're in a rut or maybe their joy has been missing from their process, like just try like seven new styles or platforms or genres and just really look at it and be like, what does my artistry want to do versus what I thought, who I thought I was as a writer. Yeah, It's really good to, to understand how you discover yourself and discover your voice as a writer and go through that process, give an insight into that process of, uh, of discovery. So now you have two books. Um, Congratulations. Yeah, that's really great. Um, Thank you. <laughs> Better Bones and Marrow. Uh, so it seems to be a connection maybe, uh, between at least in the titles. Uh, tell us a little bit about the two books and maybe you could read a, a poem from one of them or whatever you'd like. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Surely. Um, so I, so 30 West Publishing House, which is like run by the most supportive editors ever. And that's not just because he published my book, but Josh Dale is amazing. Um, he accepted my collection called Better Bones, which is a collection of like flash fiction and prose poetry. It's, it's flash fiction. There's poems that, that end in, begin and end the book. Um, and for all of the releases for 
50, like his, all of 30 West releases have special editions as part of their pre-sale. And so we were trying to think of things that we could do for a special edition for um, Better Bones. And he was like, well, you know, you could like put together, like if you have any like extra poems around or like any extra pieces that didn't make the cut for the book, we can make like a chapbook for it and have it as a special edition. So I was going through my slush and I was, because I like that idea. Um, so I was going through my slush and I found a lot of pieces that um, I had written. I found a lot of poems that I had written in response to the pieces that I wrote. So uh, a lot of the pieces that um, I had written in, um, in Better Bones kind of, um, they kind of like explore intimacy and trauma uh, and how those, two things often relate to one another. I mean, it's like intimate relationships. And to get out of writing those pieces that were like really um, exhausting me to finish, even though they're very short, I would write like a poem response to it. Like how would a poem, how would a poem like like this piece? Um, and then I realized I had like an entire compendium that spoke to individual pieces within the, like the, the collection. So I had talked to Josh and we put together um, this chat book and Elizabeth Berglund was Berglund, who's the artist in Meow Meow Pow Pow. She's our art editor. She illustrated the chat book for me. She illustrated all the poems. And then it was only supposed to be like a limited release. It was only supposed to be 25 copies for the pre-release. And um, a couple of other people, like a bunch of like a, a very supportive friends of mine who had not had the opportunity to get the collection before it sold out. Um, had like reached out to me and then by way of me reached out to Josh and asked to have it put into the permanent collection. So Better Bones and Marrow are like meant to, they're cl- like, clearly you could read them independently of one another, but they, they're like two works that speak to one another. Oh, cool. That's very good. That's a very nice uh, idea and a very nice uh, um, structure to do it. I think it's really great when you say that you're writing pieces and then you're having, uh, having dialogue with, with another genre as you were talking about experimenting with different genres and and trying out voices trying out even the same story in different genres or the same idea the same inception of the same idea so why don't we listen to a piece from uh one of them uh as we start to wind down so go ahead and yeah. introduce it a little oh. bit and, yeah okay sure um i'm gonna read a piece called a thicket a glen uh it's in better bones uh, it was originally published in Hobart, and if you're not familiar with Hobart, you should be there. Amazing. Go check them out. They published some, like, really, really incredible writers. Um, so, A Thicket, A Glen. We were trying to figure out what a deer's home is called. A thicket, a glen, a clearing. The train rocked and I fell into you, and the warmth of your right hand brushing me, brushing my thigh and spot burned after. I bit my lip thinking about you touching me, and I hope you'd notice, but we kept talking about deer until the landscape changed into city. I got up at my spot to go to someone's home that wasn't yours, and you went home to who knows what, but it definitely wasn't me. The sound of a different person's voice irritated me out of the fog of thinking about you and deer and the place on my leg where your fingers landed. While he talked, I painted your face on him and medley of your features until he became a disjointed Picasso fragmentation. He was an imaginary you puppet, part himself, but mostly someone else. While he stayed in moving simulacrum, I nodded and nodded and thought about the rhythm of the train. Later that night, kept awake by the sound of the stranger's breathing, I thought about you and dear, and if tomorrow the train would jostle me into your path again. The end. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> great, great. So uh, this is a piece of flash fiction um, in Better Bones by 30 uh, West, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's really great. I ha- and it does have a little bit of a poetic feel. It has a certain uh, resonance with me in the poetic uh, elements because it's kind of like, you know, the way the language is and then hiding language and all this kind of stuff. So I, I really felt res- very resonant with it. Um, so, yeah, so now what else coming up for you uh, is regards to, you want to read something from Mara or maybe the response to that? If you have that uh, up? Sure, I'm trying to find Mara. <laughs> Mara yeah. also has like a lot of poems about yeah. <laughs> pro wrestling in it too. So there's something oh, yeah. for no one in Mara. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you decide um, then, yeah. Uh, let me see. Yeah, I can read something from Mara. Sorry, I'm like just like running around my apartment <laughs> looking for it. I just sorry, yeah. I just opened it and I realized that I had dedicated Mara to Val Kilmer, which will never stop being funny to me. <laughs> did Did he respond? <laughs> I, <don't know. laughs> I have not had the courage to reach out directly to Val Kilmer to let him know that I just if anyone if anyone is listening and wants to on her behalf. I think, you know, if he gets enough tweets with that image, you know, we could we could make it happen, you guys. <laughs> yeah. Bring Val Kilmer into my life, everyone. Um, <laughs> um, okay. Uh, here, I'll, I'll have like a little poem, like a short poem from Mero. Uh, so, it, uh, like, it feels similarly... Uh, this is like the response piece. It also deals with um, it, it, like intimacy and trauma and also transportation. So um, it's called Lifetime Spent Sitting. My whole life was spent in the backseat of my parents' car while they looked for a brand new house. In new neighborhoods with new car smell, I was boozy with motion. I asked for the radio and they turned on stations I didn't like. Old music and new cars and new homes and repeated bumps over potholes. I was always sick as a child. I've wasted my adulthood sitting on men's laps, listening to music while drunk, new men and old music and sitting, and my life is a chart scaled by car sickness. The end. Thank you. Thank you. Yay. Awesome. I like that the trauma of transportation, because for us New Yorkers, that's that's a real thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, are we doing... Are we doing uh, announcements? Yeah, I'm going to do a couple quick announcements as we start to wind down. Uh, Ready for Brooklyn's mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community and promote media literacy, education, and free expression. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. Uh, every dollar helps us continue to stay on air. So support independent community media by pledging whatever you can afford. All contributions are tax deductible. The folks sent to the law. Again, that's readyforbrooklyn.org slash donate to make a monthly pledge or one-time donation. You can also go to RadioFrooklyn.org slash uh, Truth to Power and um, uh, sponsor this particular show at offset cost of this, uh, of, um, I'm trying to figure out, okay, yeah, I'm trying to, uh, offset the cost of this show. If you'd like to listen to Radio Free Brooklyn when you're on your computer, please consider downloading our free mobile app for iPhone and Android, available in the App Store for iPhone or Google Play Store for Android. Uh, be sure to subscribe to our monthly newsletter for the latest news about new programming and upcoming RFP events. You can sign up at slash newsletter. And then also, uh, finally, uh, we have our Drive to Five fundraising campaign is underway. In May, Ready for Brooklyn turns five years old, and we need to raise uh, 25000 so we can continue bringing you commercial free independent media for another five years. 
because we think raising money should be fun. Each month we'll be bringing listeners fun challenges with some great prizes. The first is a trivia quiz to find out how uh, well you know RFB. The top five scores will win a limited edition five-year anniversary RFB t-shirt. Um, yeah. Okay, cool. You can also dial 718-673-8201. Leave us a message letting us know why you love RFB or wish us happy birthday. Any message may be played on air. Great, great. So, um, yeah, so we'll keep the conversation going for a few more minutes. I have a queued up a song, uh, Radiohead, which is uh, it's actually a mashup between Radiohead and All I Want for Christmas by Mariah Carey. Yes. I felt oh that would be God. appropriate somehow. You are <laughs> reading my soul right now. <laughs> so it's like, it's like the, you sing it to the, you'll find out in a few minutes, but uh yeah, so what else is on your mind, Jane? What else is or coming what, up? Yeah, you? what's yeah. coming up? What Do you have events or readings or anything? Oh, yeah. <laughs> what is coming up? Uh, so I got, so there's there's AWP, which is the Association for Writing and Write, Writers and Writing Programs uh, that I'll be going to. Uh, and as for Hoot, <laughs> for, I will be vending and promoting Hoot there along with 30 West Publishing. So we'll be splitting the table there. Um, what else is happening? I've got a couple of publications coming out in like the next month. The most exciting one being from Taco Bell Quarterly. And I feel like I worked my entire life to have <laughs> a Taco Bell themed piece of flash fiction to put out into the world. So I'm very psyched about That's that. Awesome. And awesome. then, um, I'm going to be hosting, um, a flash fiction festival, Woo-hoo. uh, with a novel idea in Philadelphia, which is an incredible independent book, bookstore and, um, like community space. So we're going to be putting together a flash fiction festival. Um, if anyone is interested in doing a workshop or like hosting a panel or doing a workshop or doing a reading, we're going to be doing that in February. And, and then, yeah. And then just like the sweet Valley high themes prom, <laughs> the sweet Valley high prom themed um, reading is coming up. And that's, that's and, for me. and your future interaction with Val Kilmer. Yeah. Right. I, I, I want to make this happen. Like I want, <laughs> I don't know why I've latched on to this. I think it's because I totally like, I think Val Kilmer for, for people of a certain age, like there's this, like, I don't know. Val Kilmer is just really important in my childhood. <laughs> like, and if anyone has not seen the movie, what is, is it geniuses? Do you know the movie? It's now? real genius. Real genius. It real okay. genius and if, it's the best movie that's ever. Yes. Happened. If anyone has not seen that movie, I, I promise you, you will not be disappointed. And, and like, there's just, I, I'm I'm gonna have to rewatch it again now because you've you rekindled my love. So let's make this Val Kilmer thing also happen. Now for for finding out more about you, is there a, a website or a social media that you can direct people to? Oh yeah, I'm all over social media. I'm like I'm I'm constantly Facebooking. So I've got like I've got a Facebook for Jane Rebecca Canarella. My Twitter is another intro. Um and that's also my Instagram. So I post a lot of stuff about like upcoming um, events for both literary presses, which which have their own social media and websites underneath their names, hootreview.com, meowmeowpowpowlit.com, and it, those names under all various forms of social media. Um, but you can find me on all of those platforms. So, yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. So, uh, Jess, you have anything last Yeah. I am. Um, well, if anyone time. wants to start the new year and the new decade, right. Um, come visit me at meditativewriting.org. I've got workshops starting, uh, the first week of January. Cool. cool. 
And also right. people can find out about my own writing at vjrnathan.com, B-I-J-A-Y-R Nathan. Uh, I have two books, uh, Escape from Samsara and uh, Celebrity Southern or How to Meditate with the Hammer. And also uh, I actually published with Meow Meow Pow Pow. Everybody's got something to hide. Yeah, everybody's got something Ooh. to hide except me and Nietzsche, <laughs> which uh, is really great. They, I was so thankful that they nominated that for the push cart, uh, for a push cart. Or whatever. Yeah, it's really great. Thank you so much again. Um, yeah, I think we were good to, uh, I, to sign I, off, but yeah, I'm ready yeah. for some nine inch nails on Mariah Carey. This literally is oh, like the Radiohead, t- Radiohead. Radiohead, sorry. Radiohead, yeah. Let me just, this is like, going to be interesting. I think I, I listened to it before, but let me see where is, is the LT device. Okay. All right. Cool. Cool. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. Jane. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Nice speaking to you. Bye. Thank you. Tonight. Gonna have myself oh, a real good time. <laughs> I feel alive, <laughs> and the world I'll turn it inside out. Yeah, I got it. Now you smoked it.
So don't forget, every Monday at 8 a.m. Whoops. Uh, every Monday at 8 a.m. we'll be uh, airing Truth to Power show at Radio for Brooklyn. And uh, Thursdays at 9 a.m. we'll be broadcasting. We'll play um, play the original, I think, uh, in one second. Um, so every th- Monday at 8 a.m. and every Thursday at 9 a.m. we rebroadcast. Thank you. Make my wish come true 